Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, the Bible, you teach us all we need to know about yourself. You teach us how to live as your people. You teach us how to live uh, in response to your grace and the good news of salvation through Christ. We pray that you help us this morning uh, to learn more of uh, what it means to live as your people. As we do so, might we uh, live lives that glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been trying to lose a bit of weight recently. Uh, my doctor tells me I have a fatty liver. And uh, like most men, I store most of my fat around my belly, and that's not healthy. So I've been using various exercise programs uh, over the last few months to help drop the fat and increase my fitness. And one thing I've noticed is that people who run these programs are great advertisements for their product. Uh, ads for exercise apps and programs, uh, they, they pop up on Facebook or wherever, and the people selling the programs are fit and slim and healthy looking, uh, super enthusiastic about the benefits of their exercise program. Uh, doing a program at the moment by an American woman called Betty Rocker. I'm pretty sure that's not her real name, uh, but she sends you a video every day for 30 days, just 15 minute energetic workouts. And in the videos, you can see where she's slim and toned. She's obviously fit and healthy, does a lot of exercise herself. Uh, you can see that she, she does all these exercises without a problem and she's incredibly enthusiastic, as, as only an American can be. Um, she's a great advertisement for her program. And that's kind of what you expect, isn't it? Uh, you probably wouldn't use a, an exercise program run by someone who was out of shape uh, or someone who didn't have any enthusiasm for, for the exercise. Uh, you want to see the evidence that this program will work for you. Uh, and the life and fitness of the instructor has got to be a huge part of that. Now, similarly, Paul says to Titus in Titus chapter 2 that for the Christian, how we live ought to show just how attractive the truth of the gospel is. Uh, I'll say right from the start that uh, what Paul's not saying is that we make the gospel more attractive by the way we live because somehow it's ugly and unattractive. Now, the gospel doesn't need prettying up. It's not as though the effectiveness of the gospel depends on our good lives. The gospel is inherently beautiful, the most beautiful truth a person can know. And so just like an exercise program is going to be just as helpful for you whether the instructor's fit and healthy or not, but we demonstrate the attractiveness of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, when we live godly lives. Uh, this is the, the place where truth and practice come together. Uh, and when the truth is the gospel, <laughs> the good news of salvation in Christ then the practice, the life it leads to, must surely also be beautiful. Uh, in chapter 1, Paul described his role in nurturing the faith of the church and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Uh, he said there, we saw last week, Titus is to appoint leaders, elders in the churches. Elders are those who will hold firmly to the truth about Jesus and who will encourage the church to do the same while also refuting false teaching. And Paul then described the false teachers with their opposing views. He describes them in chapter 1 as hypocrites uh, because they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. 
And so Paul now moves on in chapter 2 to give the opposite view. He describes how Titus is to teach sound doctrine and encourage the godly life that flows from it. Uh, Have a look at verse 1 with me, Titus 2 verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. God's people will live according to the truth, not as hypocrites uh, as the opponents do. Now the word sound there in sound doctrine, that's a medical term in Greek that means healthy or whole. Uh, Paul's talking about the gospel in its totality and he's talking about a doctrine uh, or a truth that's, that's healthy, unpolluted by those who oppose it and ideas that are against it. It's the opposite of what's taught by those who need to be refuted and rebuked. And this is what Titus is to teach, the behaviour appropriate to sound doctrine. As Christians, our lives should align with the truth of the gospel, how we live ought to show just how attractive the truth of the gospel is. Uh, The good news of the gospel is, as Paul describes way back in chapter 1, verse 1, the truth that leads to godliness, life and doctrine combined. That's what we have in, in... Uh, The book of Titus in chapter 1, we'll see it here in chapter 2. Gospel truth leads to godly living. Uh, So Paul goes on to describe how Titus is to teach various people in the church. Uh, Talks about different groups based on age or gender or their position in life. Um, So let's have a look at what he says, see what, uh, have a look at the kind of life that flows from sound doctrine. And and remember as we're reading verses 1 to 10 here, Paul He's not giving an exhaustive list of all the characteristics for godly living. There's much more we could say and learn from Scripture about what it means to live as Christians. Um, Paul's also writing to a specific audience. He knows the people of the churches in Crete. He knows their challenges, their needs, their shortcomings. And no doubt much of what he encourages Titus to teach is particularly relevant to that. Of course, what he teaches Titus to teach is relevant, entirely relevant to us as well. So... Uh, Let's have a look Uh, from verse 2, and Paul starts uh, talking about what Titus is to teach the older men. Titus 2, verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Sounds a bit similar to Paul's description of elders in chapter (laughs) 1, and it's the same term, presbyteros, but in this context, Paul's referring to all the older men in the church, not only those appointed as elders. Um, just a quick survey. Just put up your hand for me if you're an older man. Are you in this category? I Thank you for putting your hand up. You didn't have to. <laughs> uh, you, you may or may not want to admit if you're an older man. It's a fairly relative term, isn't it? Paul, he doesn't mention a specific age, of course. What it means to be older will vary from, from place to place between cultures and times in history. But it's something I think you know when you get there that you're older, right? Um, And what Paul describes is someone who's lived a bit of life and uh, who has developed a a Christian maturity, temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. This is a man who would set a good example for younger Christians to follow. If you're an older man, is this a description of you? or do you have some things to work on? Um, of course, we all have things to work on, as the Christians did in Crete, and that's the point. 
so what's Paul saying here? Are you in control of your, your temper, your mood? Or are you perhaps prone to outbursts of anger or frustration or impatience? That's something that hits me. I need to work on that, I know. Uh, are you worthy of respect or does your character and integrity need some work? Are you self-controlled? <laughs> That's a pretty broad term and Paul repeats it. We'll come back to that uh, in the passage. Are you sound in faith, love and endurance? Paul often lists Christian qualities three at a time. Faith and love often appear in his lists here. They're joined by endurance or perseverance, you could say. He's talking about the foundation here of mature Christian faith. Older men, does your faith put you in good stead to show love to others, uh, to, uh, to, to, to be an example to others? Are you confident of God's love for you and do you demonstrate that love in the way that you relate to others? And how do you go at enduring through hardship, persevering in the face of persecution or opposition? These are all things... Titus must teach the older men, and they're all things we need to continually work on. Uh, next, Paul turns to the older women. What is to Titus to teach here? Look, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you count yourself an older woman. Uh, but again, as with the men, I think if, if you know, if you, if you know, right, <laughs> if you're in this category, verse 3, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Uh, the Greek word for reverent here, uh, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. The, the, this particular word is the only time this, this word appears in the New Testament. Uh, it, it's a word often used in the Greek language to describe a priest or a priestess. And so the sense of what Paul's saying is older women are to demonstrate a, a service and devotion to God in their daily lives. Paul uses the word uh, likewise there at the start of verse 3, and that shows that his instructions for older women are similar to what he's saying about older men, the older men. Uh, it's perhaps a broadly... Uh, broadly describing in one word, perhaps, what he described in several words for the older men. Uh, older women also, he says there negatively, are not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, uh, two problems that perhaps were particular issues in Crete, certainly behaviours that older Christian women would do well to avoid. And they are to teach what is good. Older women are to teach what is good. Uh, I know that over the years, uh, uh, Joe has benefited in all the churches we've been in from older Christian women who set a godly example. I have two for that matter. Older Christian women who've set a godly example and who, uh, who have the desire uh, to teach uh, the younger women. Paul will go on to say that. Uh, it's often a, a highlight, and I'll always hear about it when, when Joe... Um, we sit down after church on a Sunday or Joe comes back from a, a women's event perhaps and she's had some encouragement from an older Christian woman. Uh, it's always a highlight for her. And, and likewise, it can be really discouraging uh, when the, uh, the older women fail in this. Uh, just as an older Christian man who's not mature or worthy of respect 
can be discouraging to those around him. So an older Christian woman who's not reverent in the way Paul describes, not, not mature, not teaching others what is good, well, that can be discouraging rather than encouraging in the church. And so older women, uh, how are you going with this? Is this something you uh, do or feel able to do or mature enough to do? And if not, how can you work on that? Uh, Paul goes on to describe who and what the older women are to teach, specifically in relation to the younger women in Crete. Uh, so here we have the next group of people Paul addresses, and we get a picture of the responsibility of both the, the older and younger women. Verses 4 and 5, follow along with me there. Uh, then they can urge the younger women uh, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, it might seem like a, a no-brainer that the, the younger women are to love their husbands and children. Why would the older women need to teach the younger women to do this? Well, very likely in the early church, there would have been many women uh, married to non-Christian hus non husbands. Perhaps the wife has become a Christian, but the husband hasn't. Uh, and many of the marriages were probably arranged marriages, uh, situations where uh, loving your husband <laughs> might be quite difficult uh, for a woman to do. Uh, she, she'd have some options here. She could just sort of settle into a life of basic duty, uh, settle into a life of long suffering in an unhappy marriage. Or the younger woman could genuinely work at loving her husband. Uh, the word for love Paul uses is philia, meaning the idea of friendship and companionship in love, the idea of giving and sacrifice for others. And that's what the older women are to teach the younger women, to love their family well, their husbands and children, to be devoted to their family and their home. Uh, important to say, and I think this is right, that when Paul says to be busy at home, he, he's not saying that a young woman can't have an occupation outside the home. But Paul addresses the reality for most of the young women in the church at the time as he focuses on the young married women and how they're to relate in their homes with their families. Uh, Christian marriages would have been noticeably different to non-Christian marriages at the time. Uh, they are today, but probably in Paul's day even more so, noticeably different. And what a wonderful witness then and today for a young wife to love and submit to her husband in a biblical way, a strong witness to her non-Christian husband, uh, and a huge encouragement to a, a young Christian husband, depending on what situation the young woman is in. Uh, if that's your situation, if you're a married young woman, are, are you living in the way Paul teaches? Uh, at the end of verse 5 here, we see the first note of reasoning from Paul, the rationale for living in this gospel-centered way. And uh, he'll, he'll come back to this idea a number of times, uh, but he says there at the end of verse 5, so that no one will malign the word of God. Now we'll come back to that idea shortly. Now Paul starts the next verse with the word similarly. 
uh, so we see again the way these instructions, they, they follow on, they're related to each other uh, as he addresses the different groups. And he has just one instruction for younger men. This is the next group he addresses. Just one instruction, maybe because that's all they can handle at a time. I don't know. Uh, maybe they benefit from particularly pointed instruction, young men. Um, Titus's encouragement for the younger men is something he's also said before, both for the older men and, and younger women. Verse 6, similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Now, we probably agree that this is a need for young men in all times and places. Self-control is something you develop over life. It's not something you're necessarily born with. Uh, it's an important character trait for any Christian, self-control. Uh, and growing in our self-control speaks to a growing maturity, uh, which is what Paul obviously wants to see happening among the young men, uh, among all the, all the groups of Christians that he's describing. And it's important to note uh, that self-control is possible, <laughs> young men. Uh, I think we could be a bit cynical and overly critical uh, of the young men in our world. <laughs> uh, we can often expect very little of them. Uh, in society, we almost expect a lack of self-control. Boys will be boys. Uh, when I first started nursing, being a young man in a profession surrounded mainly by women, I often had questions and suggestions put to me by friends, sometimes even by patients in the hospital, uh, about whether I was making the most of being a young man in this position, working alongside so many, other, so many young women. Uh, there, were, there were varying levels of lewdness in the suggestions often put to me, and often basically an expectation that, look, I, I ought to be having some fun while I was young, you know? Uh, just... Uh, just uh, playing the field, so to speak, uh, before settling down. But I was a committed Christian by that point. I wasn't going to do that or live that way. And so I didn't muck around, uh, but it took self-control at the same time uh, as it does for any young man. And the reason I tell that story is because we, we often don't expect much self-control in young men. But that's a mistake. That's a mistake, especially in the church. Uh, among our young men, we should expect growth and growth in maturity as Christians. And Paul is confident that a growing self-control is possible, even if it's difficult for young men full of testosterone. Uh, if you're a young man, how do you go with this? What's it like for you? Self-control isn't easy, but it's possible. And it's hugely helped by the example young men receive. Uh, that's where Paul goes next in his instructions, pardon me, <coughs> to Titus in verses 7 to 8. Have a look there with me. Titus 2, verses 7 to 8. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. As a young man himself, Titus is to set an example for the young men. Uh, Titus is to teach what is all good and also do what is good. Uh, and so we see here that teaching self-control is not the only thing the young men are to learn. 
As they watch Titus' example, they'll learn all manner of things. Titus is to teach what is good and also do what is good. Life and doctrine go together. His teaching, uh, uh, and Paul says, there should be the, of the sort that can't be condemned. Remember the opponents of sound doctrine who say they believe in God but deny him by their actions? They're hypocrites. Titus is to be the opposite, living what he believes, teaching in a way that makes sense to those who hear it so that well, even those who don't believe can't malign him, can't condemn his teaching. As Christians, how we live ought to show just how attractive the truth of the gospel is. It's very easy to mock Christians when we fail to live what we believe. You see it in the, in the news and on telly all the time. Uh, conversation uh, with friends at work, in the neighbourhood. It's very easy to mock Christians when we don't live what we believe. Why would... Uh, you know, a life of hypocrisy is a terrible advertisement for the gospel. And why should someone believe the gospel when the one who teaches it is greedy or a bully or an adulterer? And we could cite any number of examples where Christianity has been mocked because of the behaviour of Christians. And Titus is to work against that. This is partly what's happening in the church in Crete. It happens in the church in our day. Titus is to work against that, both for the benefit of those he's teaching and for the benefit of the gospel. And as Christians, we may be maligned or attacked. The gospel may be attacked, called uh, untrue, called harmful, given all sorts of labels in the world. And we already know that even within the churches in Crete, that's happening. There are those who oppose the truth of the gospel, but the life and example of Titus, the life and example of every Christian, should actually give those opponents nothing bad to say about us. Even if they have their accusations, we can come away knowing that uh, their, their condemnation of us is not true. Our lives should be a testament to the truth of the gospel. Uh, the Apostle Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, uh, as he writes about the opposition his readers face. In the previous chapter, the reading Margaret read for us, we see that uh, Christians are a chosen people, a treasured possession called by God to be his uh, special people. And then he goes on in chapter 3 to write about how it is we live then as this, this chosen people, how we live in the face of opposition. Verse 15 and 16. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. How we live ought to show just how attractive the truth of the gospel is, even as we're being opposed because of our faith or even as the gospel is being opposed. Uh, Paul has said, he said as much so far at the end of verse 5 and verse 8 in Titus 2, and he'll say something similar again at the end of verse 10. Uh, have a look at verses 9 and 10 with me. Verse 9 and 10, Titus 2. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. 
addressing the situation of, of slaves here. Uh, Paul's uh, talking about a system where you, you can only imagine how hard it would be to act positively toward, pardon me, towards your master if you were a slave. Uh, but it's no exception, says Paul. They too must live in a way that shows the beauty of the gospel, that shows the attractiveness of the gospel. How we live ought to show just how attractive the truth of the gospel is. Perhaps the closest relationship we have in modern Australia to slavery is the workplace. Those authority relationships that you're subject to because you must earn a living. Uh, a situation where there's constant temptation to just get what you can, often little incentive to treat your boss well or to toe the line, so to speak. Uh, though if you have a, a good boss, a good workplace, that's obviously easier. But in that situation, as in all ages and stages of life, Paul says, live in a way that makes the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. How we live ought to show just how attractive the truth of the gospel is. Uh, like the gym instructor who by their toned and healthy physique is a great advertisement for their exercise program. Uh, another good illustration here I think is the jewellery store. When you go buy a ring or a bracelet or a necklace, uh, you pick out the item you want to look at and the attendant brings out that black velvet board and they put, puts the jewellery on it there and with the bright lighting of the store those diamonds just sparkle and shine. Now, it's not that the diamond necklace is any more valuable or beautiful than before it got put on the black velvet background. It doesn't actually increase the, the inherent value of the, of the jewellery, but it shows it out. It brings it out, puts it on display to be clearly seen. Uh, one commentator says this about uh, the word translated attractive there in verse 10. The verb cosmeo was used of arranging jewels in order to display their beauty. And the gospel is a jewel, while a consistent Christian life is like the setting in which the gospel jewel is displayed. How we live as Christians ought to show just how attractive the gospel is. We don't increase the truth of the gospel by living faithful Christian lives. It's, it's always true regardless of human behaviour. And salvation is gloriously beautiful no matter how poorly Christians might behave at times. But a godly life will demonstrate and show forth the beauty of the gospel. And the gospel is beautiful. Uh, Paul finishes the chapter by describing uh, gospel truth in all its glory. Uh, Paul has he's outlined the life that Titus is to teach his people to live, and now he's driving home the reason why. Uh, often in Paul, we, we, we get the indicative before the imperative. Often he puts the gospel to us, and he says, therefore, this is how you're now to live. This time uh, in chapter 2 of Titus, he does it the other way around. He's talked about what Titus is uh, to teach the people, how they're to live, and now He's telling them the, the very reason they're to live in this way and the why of the godly Christian life is the beautiful gospel. Have a look at verse 11. First, chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. A brief but wonderful description of the, the grace of God, the salvation offered to all through Jesus. Uh, and elaborating, Paul goes on in verses 12 to 14. It teaches us to say 
no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Paul, uh, summarising in this chapter the life the gospel leads us to live, uh, and he's using uh, there in verses 12 and 13, the words, terms he's used already, self-controlled, upright, godly lives, and reminding us of the gospel which leads us to live this life. The Christian life is not a life of, uh, of legalism. It's not a life that has us following certain rules so that we'll be acceptable to God. It's a life in which we have received the free gift of salvation. And this free gift, this grace, drives us to live in a way that pleases God. Say no to ungodliness. Say yes to living godly lives. Uh, this, this Christ who has saved us, Paul says, will return. <laughs> Our great motivation, it's... It, it's, it's partly that we've been saved by Jesus, his sacrifice for sin in our place, but it's also that he will come again to take us to be with him forever. There's the hope of eternal life there that, that Paul first described back in chapter 1, verse 2. And, and this is why that the reason, basis and foundation for our life and behaviour as Christians. Jesus has appeared once to bring salvation for sin and will appear again, uh, appear again to finally judge sin, do away with evil forever and bring his people to an eternity with him in paradise. Now Jesus, as Paul says there, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. What a glorious truth. <laughs> what a, a beautiful doctrine. Uh, that means, means this for our lives. It means that how we live as Christians or to show just how attractive the gospel is. Uh, how could it not? How could we be anything but eager to do what is good if we're saved from sin and filled with the hope of eternal life? Let's pray and ask that would be the case in our lives. Uh, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we... Praise you. Uh, we praise you for your grace and your mercy. We praise you that we have had the opportunity to hear and respond to the truth of the gospel. We praise you for uh, this beautiful truth, this doctrine which is so uh, sound, uh, so healthy and whole, uh, this, this truth which tells us all we need to know about you about what you have done for us to make us your people, about how we are to respond to your goodness to us. We praise you for the wonderful truth of the gospel, Lord. We pray that you help us. If we have come to faith in Christ, help us, Lord, to live in light of the gospel. Might Christ sacrifice for us and the love that he has shown 
be the motivator for us and how we live in our lives? Might the hope of his return and the glory that we look forward to be the motivator for how we live here and now? We pray that, Lord, as those around us who are not yet Christians look on our lives and see the way we live, might might they, if they oppose and, and criticise, might those uh, oppositions and criticisms be groundless, Lord, because of the lives that we live? And might the attractiveness of the gospel be shown as people see the way we live, the lives we lead uh, as your people? Might the attractiveness, the beauty of the gospel be shown uh, to the world? Might we be growing in this, Lord, uh, so that you would more and more be glorified in your world? We pray all of this uh, for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.